Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alice Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today we're talking with Alex Cohn. Alex founded Birch, which was a credit card recommendation engine and was acquired by Even Financial, a company that will recommend all sorts of financial products. A fun chat today about what it's like having your startup be acquired. Is it better for your career to go work for a big name company or a scrappy startup? And of course, maximizing your credit card points. All that ahead. It's amazing how fast these past couple of weeks have gone for me. Sitting down at the end of every week and racking my brain for what I want to say here is a nice little reflective time for me to think about what went well and what didn't over the week. But recently, it's just felt like a blur between when I sit down to record. Anyway, I guess the reason I'm saying this is because I have zero clue what I want to say right now. And usually, just by talking, the engines will start to go, and so I'm hoping that's what happens here. The first step, it's always the hardest. Staring at that blank page or that pretty girl across the room, it's always intimidating. But once you take the first step, things just start to fall in place. Nobody ever has any clue what that opening line should be. But I say it doesn't matter. Just say hi. Because once you get the ball rolling, for me at least, everything just starts to flow. There's this quote I really like. The secret of getting ahead is getting started. That's been so true in my experience. I keep a handwritten list of all the things I want to accomplish every week. And it gives me such pleasure as I cross off the tasks that I've finished. What I found is that the more precise a task is, the more likely it is to get accomplished. For instance, if I write down find investors, there's a pretty high likelihood that that won't get done. But if instead I make a task to research fintech companies that have raised less than $2 million in the last 18 months, then there's a much higher chance that that will get done. Like you write down climb Mount Everest, you never will. But if you write down run two miles... Then the next week, you say run three miles. Then the next week, buy camping gear, hike a mountain, then hike a taller mountain, and so on. You can build up to the main goal. You have to make the tasks realistic, or they will never get done. Okay, that's it for me. Let's get into the interview. Alex, what's up, man? You're you're, uh, sitting in my house in LA. You're in LA for the day from New York? We are, yeah. We were in San Francisco yesterday. Um, Flew down this morning on a 8 a.m. flight and on a red eye out tonight back to New York. I love it. Well, thanks so much for fitting us in. Yeah, no, exciting. Um, happy that we connected on Twitter and uh, yeah, excited to get this done. The magic of Twitter. And now we've been sitting in my backyard chatting for 45 minutes. It's like we're, we're buddies now. <laughs> I love it. 
And it's going to make me move to LA because we don't have this weather and I miss the California weather. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we'll see once this podcast uh, launches, if we can hold you to moving to LA. <laughs> five, five or six years, I promise I'll be out here. Okay. Well, now it's set in stone. Um, okay. So you, you're a fintech startup guy which is exactly how we got connected because I'm a fintech startup guy. Um, but let's like get into your background. Were you like an entrepreneurial kid? Is that who you were growing up? Like how'd you, how'd you, how'd you get your start? Yeah, I would definitely classify myself as an entrepreneurial kid. Um, my first job actually, believe it or not, is I, I used to play a lot of tennis and my dad bought me a tennis racket stringer when I was 15 and we printed business cards that said Alex's racket stringing. I think I have a photo on my phone I can show you. And, um, and I went around to the different tennis courts that I used to play competitively at, and I would go and take people's tennis rackets and string them in 24 hours and bring them back and charge 15 or 20 bucks a pop. And, uh, did that. Um, then I ended up working at Office Depot doing tech support. Um, but I got bored of doing tech support. So I started to help people on the side, fix printers and TVs and all this stuff in their homes and started my own like at home IT support business at like 16, which got me fired from Office Depot because it was a conflict of interest. Um, and then, yeah, other than that, just always was uh, tinkering around. Although I will admit, I did not know what a startup was when I joined my first startup. I just needed a job and um, kind of understood ops and joined a company called Sharpspring when I was 19 uh, as employee number 10. There, there are a couple hundred people now in public. So I've always been tinkering around with different things and ultimately it led me to building a product. So this is this startup you're talking about, you joined it when you were 19, this was during school? Yeah, during college. So I had a, a very good friend, we're actually both in New York now. Um, he was very much always into tech startups and he joined this company as uh, basically an entry level, I think it was a UI UX designer at the time with no experience. He always just wanted to get into it, wanted to find his entry point. And they needed someone to help build out their partner ops team. It was a, it's basically a competitor to HubSpot, but for uh, marketing agencies. And I joined working directly for one of the founders and the COO of a company called um, Sharpspring. And at the time I was just going to work kind of not realizing that we were part of a tech startup that was actually growing pretty quickly. So I was there for about six or seven months. I left to go into the corporate world and worked at JP Morgan for a little bit. Um, then I tried a consulting gig and ultimately I was like, no, I like the 10 person team. I like being able to, you know, have a material impact on what I'm working on. And so I ended up rejoining Sharpspring as VP of partnerships and only left, uh, once we raised our seed round for Birch. Okay. This is like keying in on like the most interesting concept to me because I like you as the most entrepreneurial kid starting businesses left and right. Then I go to college. I'm still like got my hands on all sorts of things. Some legal, some, some, some not legal, <laughs> um, and then it's like society puts this pressure on you. It's like, oh, you need to go get one of these like corporate prestigious jobs. So I did the same thing. I went and worked for JP Morgan. It couldn't have been like a worse fit. Yeah. But like I'm still like trying to cram this square peg into this round hole. It's saying, oh no, 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 no. Like I'm making money. This is what society says is is so great. It sounds like you figured that out a little faster than me. It took me like years. And then I was like lost for a while and I went mm. to business school. Um I think it's hard, right? Because you, yeah, everyone tells you, you need this big name on your resume if you want to open up opportunities. And I don't think that that's the case. I would have been, it's all about, I would say building a network where you can be valuable and useful. And the only way that you can be valuable and useful is by actually having a skill and learning and continuing to just explore new things that are outside of your, of your 
comfort zone. And you do that in startups because you're just thrown into a shit show of work and no one actually knows what's going on. And so I accidentally kind of like fell into this thing where I really enjoyed it, but then I didn't realize it when I went to go work for JP or for the consulting firm until after I was like, I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again. Like, this is boring. I don't need this. I want to challenge myself. And, um, but yeah, there's a lot of pressure to like get that big name on your resume because that's supposedly going to open doors. And I don't, you know, if I could give anyone advice, it's go work for a small company if you can. Don't, you know, don't be a founder if you don't want all the stress of doing all that. But if you can work for something that is, um, you know, relatively okay funded, you know, there's some sort of runway, go learn your skills there and you'll be more valuable than, than working at a large company. Yeah, I love it. That's counter to what society says. So I'm always, I'm all about uh, that kind of path. Okay, so you, you start to realize... This big company stuff is not for me. Uh, so it's like, okay, I, that's good. Like you can check something off the box and says that this isn't right. So then how do you go figure out what's, what's next? So for me, um, it's interesting. I, I have mixed emotions on if school can be helpful, like entrepreneurial programs can be helpful in actually creating entrepreneurs because you end up with uh, sometimes educators who weren't operators and they're reading out of textbooks and they're you know, trying to recommend how to build businesses when they haven't done one. And so, but I actually got started through the entrepreneurial program at my school where, um, I was a TA for an entrepreneurship course. I needed an extra credit to, to finish an elective and the school was holding a business plan competition. And one of the things that I'd always been toying with was what ended up being Birch and it got started by entering that business plan competition. And then from there, just really loving what I was building and then trying to turn it into a company. So school was kind of the impetus for creating Birch, although I'm not sure how helpful the people were at the school of, of you know, kind of moving Birch, moving the needle with Birch. Yeah, I mean, everyone, like, dances around this topic. I mean, even in business school, like, they say, oh, it's great for entrepreneurship. I don't know that any of the curriculum and stuff is great for entrepreneurship. It's all, like, so theoretical, and it's basically, like, aim, 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 and then fire, versus mm-hmm. in the startup world, you should just be, like, firing. And, yeah. you know, when I went to business school, we... I took like all the startup stuff and they're like, Oh, you need customer discovery and primary research and secondary research. And I'm like, I don't, it's sure. Like the framework is helpful, but you really just got to go out there and like start doing what is helpful though. is like, you're surrounded by a bunch of other people that are like in the same kind of boat trying to do entrepreneurial things. So maybe the process isn't quite right, but it's definitely gets your mind teed up because like I worked in investment banking for so long. I feel like that my entrepreneurship fire was like beaten out of me. So I needed to like figure out a way to like st- get that muscle working again. There's not again. a lot of innovation in pitch decks, unfortunately. No. <laughs> and it's so funny because like I was always like trying to add innovation into the way things were done and they were always like, Alex, stop. Like, this is your job. This is what you're going to do. And so that that's the reason why mm. I, I wasn't good at the job. I didn't like the job is because like I was, my mind always tries to like find creative ways, but I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know what the reason was. It mm. took, it took me going to business school and getting into entrepreneurship and stuff to, before I saw that. Yeah. And I think you'll see that very often people kind of hit these like glass ceilings where they are, you know, they're, they're putting their neck on the lines and trying to be innovative and trying to do something creative outside of the scope of the work that they were brought on to do at a large company. And it's difficult when you get a lot of kickback and pushback and it's demoralizing and it's, and it's tough because you're like, well, then what am I doing here if I can't make an impact? And I think our generation is definitely one, I think one of the things we value the most is making an impact at the place we're working and it's really hard to do that if you're put into this very scoped role. Some people are great for scoped roles. Like, I don't want to say it's like everyone should not try to work in a scoped role. I think some people absolutely need structure and scope. But for the people that don't, it's, you know, either a large company has to foster that somehow or it's not the right fit. 
Oh man, if you can be happy working for a big company, just go do that. It's so much, yeah. it's so much easier. I mean, look at like our, our parents' generation. It's just like, they just all had the assumption that kind of just work sucks. You just like go do it mm-hmm. and then you come home and like, that's when you're your authentic self. You're into golfing or tennis or sailing yeah. or whatever it is. But like during work, you're like, you don't need to find that passion. But our generation is like, no, I need passion 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Which like, I think is good. I mean, that's how you build the most valuable products and you build things that people get excited about. Like I... You know, it's it's easy to kind of just uh, you know steer a ship or, or help kind of be someone moving the ship forward, but it's really hard to kind of build that boat from scratch. Sure. Okay, so let's get into Birch and where that idea came from and what it was and all that. Yeah, I mean, I was always uh, very hacky and tinkered with stuff, and credit cards ended up being something that I um, was always playing with since I was eighteen and could apply for my first credit card. Speaking of which, I did apply for a Chase Sapphire card as my first and got declined. And um, I, again, had no idea what I was doing. I saw a billboard that said, you know, here's a shiny new blue Chase card, like uh, apply for it. So I did, got declined. I was 18 with no income. It makes sense. Uh, And then after that, I kind of said, you know, well, how can I play this? Like learn everything I can about this. So I ended up getting approved for an entry level Bank of America card, built my credit, started making some income. And over the course of like four or five years, I started uh, traveling like totally for free using points and miles. And, you know, there were there were resources out there like the points guy and nerd wallet and things like that. But there finally came to a point where I said, I still don't know if I have the right cards. I still don't know if I'm using them properly. I know I'm getting free stuff and that's great. Am I but am I using them efficiently? And there was no tool to do it. Any recommendation tool that you go use today outside of Birch, um, really doesn't say like, here's your spending and here's how you can best use cards. And that's what we were solving for was, was for people who, and we had a really like, our mission was we only wanted to target people who could afford to use cards to earn rewards. If you were carrying debt or you had a revolving balance, like we said, delete the app, it's not for you. You shouldn't be trying to game rewards and, uh, or open up more and more cards. We don't want it to impact your credit. And uh, so we only focus on people who could afford to have two or three cards in their wallet or a Chase Sapphire Reserve or Amex Platinum. And, um, you know, we built a tool around linking into someone's spending, analyzing their transactions in a way that you really can't even do with an Excel spreadsheet unless you want to spend weeks and weeks doing it. Um, And then make recommendations uh, kind of twofold. So the first, how do I optimize the cards I already have? Because you're still using those cards and you might have two or three in your wallet already. And then how do I uh, find the best mix of cards that may be some that I don't have uh, so that I can optimize my spending to earn what I want? And that's when it gets really complicated because every single card has a different reward scheme. So some cards are great for redeeming for airlines or hotels, but then it gets even more granular where maybe I only want Hilton or maybe I only travel internationally or maybe I only fly Alaska Airlines uh, from New York to LA. And... You know, we spent a long time actually trying to build the redemption side of it where we wanted to help you redeem your rewards. And that's a whole nightmare. That's that's a company in and of itself is optimizing reward redemption. But we we ultimately got to a point where you told us your preferences. I want flights. I want hotels. I want these perks. And we would find the right mix of cards that had those attributes. Yeah, that's that's so smart. That's great. I mean, I, I love it. It's like I spend <laughs> a lot of money on eating out at restaurants or on gas. It's like, which cards should I have for my mix? Yeah. And, and it, you know, I think everyone loves the idea. I think it's a lot harder to build than we thought it was as is everything. It just because of, um, you know, there's no one central repository where I can go and say, what do these cards earn? What do they redeem? What are their benefits? And we had to build all that from scratch. And when you're a four person team trying to compile data and keep it updated from 
250 credit cards, it, it becomes a, I mean, it, it was my full-time thing for, for four years. We raised money to, to get it off the ground and acquire users. But, um, you know, ultimately you run into, I think what every fintech app who's direct to consumer runs into is monetization, especially when you're not issuing your own product. Um, you know, how do you monetize referrals or recommendations? And then how do you balance being an unbiased recommendation tool with pushing products that potentially pay more than other ones? So Sure. Yeah, there's an inherent bias there. But credit card companies and banks have very high cost to acquire a new user. Mm -hmm. So you could, I mean, essentially have a great insight into which cards they should have and then make that referral and get paid, I don't know, whatever whatever, whatever it was at the time. Yeah, I mean, and they pay, you know, upwards of two, $300 a card. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it can be material. I mean, you look at some of the largest recommend recommendation tools in the space and they're, they're very large companies. Um, and I would say, you know, it was a bit of, um, you know, chicken and an egg problem because they wanted to see material volumes in order to spend the time getting set up with us as an affiliate. Uh, and we needed to spend a ton on user acquisition to get people through our top of funnel, linking an account, and then actually taking action and opening up a card. And we even ran into a, a bigger issue because we weren't just recommending 20 cards, we were recommending 120. And so how do you build relationships with 120 cards when now my recommendation distribution is not just like 90% goes to 10 cards, it's, it's like 50% goes to 50 cards. Um, and so, you know, for the, for the relationships that we had actual affiliate partnerships with, we didn't see, um, a ton of monetization there because it was just so spread across a number yeah. of different cards. Right. Back to the core issue of all fintech, consumer fintech is your customer acquisition cost, mm -hmm. putting people through it. Okay. So you've built some cool technology. It's a, it's a good product. Another company recognized that. Yeah. Yeah. So we, Oh man, it was a, it was a fun three and a half years of, uh, a lot of interesting conversations and ultimately even was a company that we were partnered with to solve for monetization. So, um, you know, Phil and the team were building infrastructure to, you know, help basically what you would consider long tail companies like us who weren't big enough to have affiliate relationships ourselves, um, monetize a very high intent, high value customer, uh, using their APIs and they would, you know, power the acquisition, power the compliance. And, um, when we partner with them, we were starting to monetize, but, uh, but their credit cards vertical wasn't fully flushed out. And it led to conversations of, you know, I saw the potential there of building infrastructure in the space, almost like, you know, the stripe for product acquisition. Um, and you know, we, we ended up in conversations of joining the team to build out these additional verticals to help companies like Birch monetize. And it, you know, resonated pretty closely because we ran into monetization struggles and that's what even was solving for with, uh, you know, with basically building all the infrastructure in the space to democratize that. Yeah. So, so here I am 10 months later. <laughs> having gone through an acquisition on your very first startup. Yeah, no, it's exciting. I mean, we, um, you know, I don't think that was the intention when we started again, like I think I went into startup life very naively, not knowing, I didn't know what a deck was when I started. So, you know, someone, I remember being at a, uh, a startup conference that we got invited out to and I met a random investor and he goes, Oh, send me your pitch deck. And I remember that night going back to the hotel and Googling, what is a pitch deck <laughs> and throwing together some slides? Like, here's what we're building. Here's how much money we need. And you kind of know what you need. You just don't know the formalities or like the structure it needs to be in. And so, um, learned a lot in four years. And did you get money from that first guy? No, yeah. he ghosted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's like, Back to the way that society says things have to be done. If you want to like tap into that money that society has, you kind of got to play the game. Yep. 
Yeah. And, you know, going, I think looking back, like, you know, lessons that I took away were, you know, if, if I were to build a company again, we're, we're figuring out at least monetization from day one. It doesn't have to be profitable monetization, excuse me, but some sort of, can this thing make money and is it viable versus, I, I don't know. I mean, some investors would probably argue me that the strategy of a, if you acquire a crap ton of users, you'll figure out how to monetize them at some point is a good strategy. But I would argue you either need to be really good at raising money to get to that point, or you should try to bootstrap and sustain yourself to get to that point, which involves monetizing your customers. Yeah, fintech is a little different than just consumer because in consumer, you can build something and it just takes off and get lots and lots of users. And then the blue chip VC funds are like, okay, I, I like that. I don't care about revenue. You'll figure it out later. Snapchat, Facebook, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but fintech, like... You have costs for all these things. There's baking costs. There's credit card costs. There's 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 yeah. costs. So it's not just like okay, if I get a fifty thousand users, well, how much does that cost me? Say it's cost me two bucks a person. It's hundred thousand, hundred thousand, way more than that. <laughs> exactly. That's why a lot of these fintech companies, Robinhood, Zero, like they launch with videos instead of with products. They show a video of like here's what we're building. Sign up for our waitlist. They go put a bunch of people on a waitlist and they raise money on that, and then they spend the millions and millions of dollars to get the baking partnerships and build mm-hmm. the product and and all that. Yeah. And I think, you know, it takes money to make money in consumer fintech. You know, it's really hard. I don't, I mean, there's a few that are bootstrapped. Um, NerdWallet was one that started with content and, uh, and that team was brilliant with creating lots and lots of high engaging content. It scaled to, um, to the point where then they raised like a hundred million dollar round or something like that after bootstrapping the entire company up to that point. Yeah. Um, you know, but then you look at someone like Credit Karma who took, you know, the opposite approach. They went app first and app is always more expensive than content. You know, content's easy to create if you can write or create content versus app development requires all the infrastructure involved in actually building something, um, and, and they raised a lot of money from the beginning and then grew that way. But if you look now, they're, they're a powerhouse in the space with over 80 million members, which, which is wild. And so, um, but there's very few companies that I think in consumer fintech who have bootstrapped versus raising a lot of money to acquire customers and then figure out monetization. So <laughs> it's, uh, I, I don't know the best path to take, but like looking back on, on, on our story and how we approached it, I would probably have tried to solve for... Uh, monetization earlier on sure or distribution earlier on right makes sense okay well Alex so uh, how long have you been at even when do they buy you and like where do you where do you go from here is this company fulfilling your startup needs so even's been a crazy story because we've been growing really quick over the last 10 months since I joined I joined 10 months ago um, back in like late August early September um, joined initially to build a credit card marketplace, which was the goal of, you know, we, we had personal loans, um, some deposit accounts and, um, you know, we really wanted to build out this, this credit card vertical because of just how large of a space credit cards is. Um, but I came on and there was just so much more to do, of course. And, uh, you know, my official title now is senior director of strategy, but it's really like commercializing new products and helping us launch new initiatives. And so credit cards is going live shortly, um, which is really exciting. It's, you know, nine or 10 months later. Um, but I mean, we've tripled our headcount from like 20 when I started to now almost 70. So we more than tripled. And, um, you know, we've just seen kind of like rocket ship growth, I think in the last, uh, 10 months. And so we're, you know, we keep hiring more people, um, you know, bringing a lot of smart talent on, signing more partners on both sides of the marketplace. And so it's just been, 
it's good and bad because I have like bad. I haven't been able to just focus on the credit card marketplace, but great because we're scaling and it's, um, you know, I think there's a lot of potential to grow from. Here. Yeah. So what are you guys doing so well? Like, why is it working so well? I think we just found a really good niche in the personal loan space where, where we were starting to operate and, um, really like at the core of all of our machine learning and, and recommendation, um, you know, engines is, is just matching people to the right products in, in that vertical. We're really working towards that in the other verticals. That one's just the most mature and it's really just like skyrocketing. So well, that's a good sign for the other. I mean, you have to, have, <laughs> to have more verticals to apply that technology to. Yeah. I mean, and our, our ultimate goal I think is, um, you know, Anything that you could traditionally open up in a branch, uh, we want to bring into our API. So everything from, uh, you know, personal loans and savings accounts to credit cards, student loans, mortgages, renters and homeowners insurance, like really be um, any consumer financial product on an API, which no one has done before. Yeah, that's so cool. And so how close is the credit card product that you're going to launch with to what you built? Uh, it's different. I don't know how much I can talk about the specifics, but it's, um, it, it's definitely different cause it's not tied to transaction histories. Like, cause we were a logged in app. Um, you know, we were very much built on top of someone's spending history, but with us, this is infrastructure. And so if a partner of ours has transaction histories and they want to make recommendations and then, you know, use our API to source the offers, they can do that, but we wouldn't be powering that, that part of it, if that makes sense. Sure. Makes sense. Okay. So Alex, we'll get to the last two questions here. Okay. The first one's, um, always about advice. You kind of give the advice of starting your career out at just a startup and just saying, fuck it to working at a big name company. And that's cool. Um, if there's something more on that or anything else like that. And the other one is what the listeners could do to, that would help you. I always talk about, Hey, you want a job? Don't just like ask someone for a job. Like say, how can I provide value? Or just don't even ask how I, I can provide value. Just find a way to start providing value to someone. So if there's anything that listeners can do that would help provide value to you, that'd be cool too. Yeah. So starting on the first question, which was, um, around like, if there was anything more to me, just going right into small company life over big company life. Is that yeah, yeah. The, yeah. So, um, I think it was just kind of, uh, an innate want to build something and not just work on something that was already built. And, and I had that opportunity at Sharp Spring and Rick is, was a fantastic CEO. I saw him recently, um, a couple months ago when I was in Florida and just had the opportunity to be hands-on kind of like figuring it out, um, with smart people. And that was my first exposure to it. And then I realized that was what I liked. I liked the, the chaos. I liked the non-structure. I liked, you know, kind of being able to work as a team and figure shit out versus having it already figured out and then just being, um, you know, just a small part of it, uh, of, of the continued, you know, management of it for lack of a better word. Um, so that was really the, the whole story there was just, I've always like decided to do something and then I do that without really thinking about, um, you know, is this kind of what people expect of me? It's just, I do what I want. Do you think there's <laughs> anything you could have done to not had to go work at those big companies or like your brain just said, I need to go see what this is like? I think I still had not fully, you know, I didn't know at the time that I wanted to work in tech, like after I graduated, I didn't know that I wanted to end up, you know, in a company like where I am now, or even if I were to go and work for a Google or Dropbox or something after graduation, I didn't know that that was the path I wanted to take. I, I think I was still figuring it out when I was 19, still figuring it out now, yeah. but at 19, you know, you really don't know. And so, you know, there's a bit of FOMO of, well, 
you know, will I miss out on future career opportunities if I don't get a big name on my resume? I had a lot of internship offers and I don't know, like GE, um, JP Morgan was one of them and then the consulting firm. And then there was a couple companies, um, in Texas that again, like just large corporate companies that had finance divisions where I was going to come in and be, um, you know, just like an analyst and ultimately, you know, I tried it, but the main reason why I did it was just thinking that it was going to open up more doors for me by having that name, in my resume. And I don't think, um, I don't think it made a material difference to yeah. be honest. Sure. Okay. Well, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. The, yeah, the value last. adding thing, anything, anything the listeners can do. Oh man. I mean, we're always hiring. So definitely we're always looking for smart people in New York. Um, so if, if anyone is interested in joining a high growth startup, we're hiring across every single business unit right now. So marketing, BD, strategy, lots of engineers, um, products, finance. So it's, uh, you know, it's a real growing, breathing company now with lots of new roles and new faces. And, um, and it's an exciting thing to be a part of. So that's probably the first thing is send me an email, alex.cohen at evenfinancial.com and, um, tell me about yourself why you want to build shit and, uh, and where you think you fit best. And that's probably the biggest value add is cause we're always looking for, for smart people and good talent. As I'm sure, you know, is hard to come across. And then, um, yeah, if I can be helpful as well, you know, we're advice on other, you know, if you're building something I can help there. Um, looking to raise money, looking to test a new idea. Like I'm always happy to get back and be helpful. So, so those are probably the two cool. big things. Ah, I love it. Well, Alex, Thanks for coming to my house. Thanks for coming to Los Angeles. Thanks for hosting me. Yeah, you don't even. It all started with a tweet. (laughs) Magic of Twitter. Look at that. All right, man. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends to help us grow, and by leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you.